Welcome to Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 189. I'm your host, Derek Moore. And this week, as we really get into earnings season coming up once again for Q3, we're going to be answering the question, where do returns come from? Uh, Sure, returns are price. And in the end, it's buyers and sellers and momentum and all that that really determines price. It's people's actions. But when we look at returns over a period, you can actually pinpoint, was it a rise in the multiple? Was it the rise in earnings? Did margins increase? Did share counts get reduced? And so I'm going to be going over there this week. And as we go into earnings season coming up, uh, as I said, you know, a little bit next week, week after, they're getting some drips out right now. One of the things you're going to start to hear is that earnings estimates are both for, let's say, earnings, but also for revenue. And so, for example, right now, according to Refinitiv, uh, has an earnings outlook. Uh, I'll put a link to this in the in the show notes. But their uh, 2022 Q3 earnings are forecasted at uh, about 465.32 billion. And what does that mean? It means they're forecasting this quarter Q3 to be up 4.5% year over year and revenue to be up 9.7% year over year. It is interesting, though, if you take out X energy, as they say, if you remove energy, then the earnings are pretty flat, at least the estimates. And that's an important reminder, too, because these are just estimates. Analysts revise them all the time. In fact, uh, if you look at the what's been going on, analyst estimates rose, and then lately they've been coming down. And so we'll see what happens when, when earnings actually do come out. And obviously, energy has been doing a lot of the, the heavy lifting this year for the S&P 500. And by the way, that's why index, buying the index and owning the SPY or the S&P 500, that over time is helped by the fact that you have different leadership emerging. Some people aren't doing as well. When I say people, I mean, it could be financials or healthcare or uh, technology, anything like that. While other times, and at least right now, uh, energy is, has been pulling its weight. Energy has actually garnered a higher percent of market weight within the S&P 500 because they've had a good year. Of course, what was it, 2020 when oil went negative? I think it was 2020. Uh, certainly energy was not pulling uh, any weight in the S&P 500. Other companies were, were doing that. And so the reason I want to get into the source of return, so return in the end is what was a price today? What was a price a week from now, a year from now, 10 years from now? And how did you get there? Well, I'm going to refer to something uh, from, if I pull it up here and I'll give you the, the name, it was a, an investor letter from Semper Augustus Investments. So I believe they have a fund. Uh, uh, here they mentioned Christopher Bloomstrand. So I'm not familiar with this, uh, this group. Uh, but I'll, I'll put a link to their, uh, uh, their site. They have some investor letters they put out. And these letters, I mean, this one's like 129 pages long. Kudos to uh, the Value After Hours podcast, because uh, I was listening to that. And they brought it up in one of their segments. And so I searched for it and I found the investor letter online. 
And what this is, is it looks to quantify over periods and explain, okay, the market was up such and such percent, but what caused that? And so if I look and they put a, uh, within the, the, uh, the letter here, they look at a 10-year period, December 31st, 2011, through the end of last year, uh, December 31st, 2021. And that 10-year period, the total return, the annualized uh, total return was 16.6%. That is really, really good. And then you look at the components. Okay, so what, what made up that 16.6%? And they do a little bit of math. They, they do each of these individual pieces, and then they calculate a return attribution based on a multiplicative method. And I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'm not going to explain that on, a, on this podcast, but it's just there's some sort of, how do I explain that? It's sort of compounding within compounding, but I'll just kind of go through the numbers here. So of the 16.6% annualized return, uh, the average annual yield on stocks in the S&P 500, so this is the S&P 500 uh, we're talking about here, was about 2.4%. So if you follow me, it's okay. Based upon the price uh, minus the dividend, just the price alone, you're up about 14.2%. But then you add the, the yield in 2.4% and you get up to 16.6%. You say, okay, well, I... That seems pretty easy, right? Of course. But here's where it gets interesting. And you've heard a lot of discussion, and I've mentioned on this podcast, about the idea of multiples. And what we've seen, not only last year, but this year, there has been a reduction in the multiple. What people are willing to pay times the earnings or the forward earnings estimates. Those have come down at the same time. Earnings for the S&P year-to-date, are up year-over-year. So one of the things you see and you try and attribute the what, you know, where returns come from is you say, okay, the P.E. multiple here in, uh, at the end of 2011 was 13. The P.E. multiple at the end of 21 was 23.6. And so at the end of that 10-year period, and that was just the end of last year, what people were willing to pay, the price divided by the earnings, was almost 10 points higher. And so if you look at the return attribution, that was worth about 6.4% of that 16.6 total return. Total return meaning dividends plus any change in price. So the P multiple can contract. That means it's trading at less of a multiple times earnings. Or it can expand. As I said, the last year, certainly it's, uh, it's contracted quite a bit, even though earnings are up. The market at one point was down 25%. It's pulled off those lows now. But over this 10-year period, a lot of the return came from the expansion of the PE multiple. Now, the other side of this is we have earnings. You have revenue. That's your sales. You have margins. And your margin just means, hey, if you sold $1,000 worth of stuff and your margin is 10%, well, you made 100 bucks. okay? So how do those play into where do returns come from? Okay, so margins over that 10-year period, uh, and I should say, you know, let me, let me start on sales, actually. 
And in this letter, the author pointed something out. And think for a second. If I was to ask you from December 31st of 2011 to December 31st of 21, what do you think the average annual increase in sales? And by sales, just the, uh, the amount in, in dollars, let's say. Now think about that for a second. All right, yell out a guess. Well, maybe not yell it out, but think it in your head. If you're driving by yourself, you can go ahead and yell it out. And it was just 3.1% annualized increase in sales. So what does that tell us? That tells us, okay, sales got you an additional 3.1%. Now margins improve from 9.2% to 13.4%, and margins get you about a 4% return attribution. So think about this, sales only went up a little over 3%, but margins increased, increased quite a bit, 9.2 to 13.4. That's a big jump for margins, by the way. And then the multiple increased. And so what you wind up happening is, oh, there's one more too, and that is the share count. So remember, when companies buy back their stock, it's just a different way of returning capital to shareholders. Instead of paying out a dividend, and that would be encapsulated in the dividend yield, when you are doing a share buyback, you are reducing the amount of shares. And what does that do for existing shareholders? Well, what it does, it actually increases the value or your earnings per share. So let's just do a really quick example. If there were only 1,000 shares outstanding for a company and the net income was 1,000, you would earn a dollar per share. But let's say that company buys back half their stock. Now there's only 500 shares out there outstanding but you still have that $1,000 in net income. Well, now instead of a dollar per share, EPS, earnings per share, now it's 1,000 divided by 500 or $2 per share. And so when we kind of look at this, reducing the share count over that 10-year period got 0.7%. So let me repeat this, 16.6% uh, annual average return and then where do returns come from, uh, according to the, uh, the investor letter I mentioned? I'll, I'll try and put a, I'll put a link in the, the show notes for you. Well, all right, so 16.6%, what was the biggest contributor to that? It was the increase in the multiple. The multiple went from 13 to 23.6. So 6.4% of the 16.6 was due to an increase in the multiple. So if you take that away, you are down to 10.2%. All right, so that's how much the multiple increasing actually helped the returns. I already told you the average yield was about 2.4%. And then we look down the line, margins. So P multiple number one, margins were got you 4% because margins increased 9.2%, net profit margins of 13.4, net profit margin. So that's 4%. So margins and PE multiple, take those two together. That's 10.4%. Your share count, because shares going down, means your, uh, your earnings per share goes up. So that got you 0.7%. Not too much, but it's, it's pretty good. And then sales got you 3.1%. So that's sort of a, a 
kind of an interesting way of looking at where your returns come from. Now, some of these numbers, you might think, well, that's over 10 years and that's annualized. Where do they come from and things like that? There's an interesting one too. Let me look at Tesla for a second. And if I look at Tesla, uh, their fiscal year, at least what I'm looking at, looks like it ends in February of every year. So if I say February of 21, uh, their annual results, their price was $287.81. Their earnings per share were 25 cents per share. And their net income was $721 million. All right, that's great. Doesn't necessarily mean anything to you yet. But their price to earnings ratio was 1,149.47. That was your PE. Trading at 287.81, earnings of 0.25. That's a, that's a pretty big PE. The stock goes up. Goes up to $3.02, sorry. And that was year-ended February of 2022. And by the way, it's, I, don't, I don't know if their fiscal year really ends there. I don't know. This site I'm looking at, it's, uh, I can't link to it because you have to put an email in and stuff. But they, uh, uh, they've got it ending in February. Anyway, so what happens? Well, the earnings per share goes to $1.78 from $0.25. Cents. Net income went from $721 million to $5.5 billion. But what happens? The multiple drops. The multiple is down more than, you know, uh, it's, it's, what is it? 169.91, down from 1149.47. And so net income went up, sales went up, their earnings per share went up, their price only went up, from 287 and change to 302 and change because that multiple contracted. And so when you look at where returns come from and you hear people who are looking at doing valuations and doing deep dives into where price to sales is and where margins are and all those types of things, what they're doing is they're connecting the dots. They're looking and they're saying, okay, we know that either margins might come down or go up we think that the multiple will go down or go up. We think dividends could change. We're looking at buybacks and we're looking at sales. And whenever earnings come out, you'll have the top line is your revenue or your sales. And the bottom line is your net income. And in between there, if you do the, uh, the calculation there, you figure out what the net profit margin was, assuming they made profits, right? So that's kind of how analysts are looking at things. According to J.P. Morgan's, Morgan's Guide to the Markets, they have the multiple contracting minus 23.8%. Remember, I told you that uh, earnings are up year over year, but the market is down. And so while the earnings are up, all of the decline this year is not due to earnings uh, being less than the year before. It's due to people not being willing I was going to say able, maybe they're not able, but they're not willing to pay as much for uh, past earnings and also for future earnings. And that's one of the reasons why if you look at something like a forward multiple, forward multiple just means what's the analyst estimates going forward over the next four quarters? So it would be Q3, Q4, and Q1, Q2 of 23. Uh, 
recently, it was a little bit above 16 times, you know, probably 16.4 or so. So that's down uh, from, it used to be, I mean, above, I was closer to 23, certainly above 22. So what does that mean? It means where would returns come from? Well, we just went through an example, but going forward, earnings could increase. Uh, you could have the dividend. The dividend is going to be paid, uh, but what the uh, the yield is, the dividend yield, means what's the dividend and back into the, the value of, let's say, SPY or the index. Of course, the index itself doesn't pay out dividends, but let's say SPY, right, if you're doing a, a total return. And you can look at sales. So in theory, your sales could drop, but your margins could go up and your net income can still get higher. Sales could go up, margins could drop, and your net income could fall. So as you're thinking about the year ahead, think about sales. Think about what the margins are. Look at whether or not companies are buying back shares. In the 2000s, a lot of the tech companies were issuing shares. There's still some pretty big companies, especially on the, in the tech arena, that you issue stock to employees, and that sort of dilutes when they have to issue additional shares. You look at a company like Walmart, though, their share count is down, down substantially over the last 10 years. Remember, earnings, uh, share counts going lower adds value to shareholders because the earnings are worth more because there's less shares now outstanding to share in all of the earnings pool, right? And so this was just a way to look at where returns come from as you're thinking about the earnings period going forward. Uh, by the way, I will let you know that uh, if you have questions uh, on this or you want to see a, an episode in the future, uh, do drop me a line, derek.more at zegafinancial.com. That's D-E-R-E-K dot M-O-O-R-E at Zega, Z as in Zebra, E as in Eddie, G as in George, A as in Apple, Financials up to you to spell correctly.com. And also, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about the strategies we run or how we look at things, by all means, drop me a line. Love to uh, talk to you as well. I'll put a link in the show notes to a few things this investor letter. I'm also going to put a link to uh, Refinitiv has uh, an earnings preview, which sort of goes through a lot of the estimates. And you can look at the estimates based upon the sectors. Uh, you can look at both revenue and earnings, and there's some good information there. And during earnings season, too, it's good to follow. Uh, if you do a search for the Refinitiv Earnings Dashboard, it usually comes out every Friday. But they do a blended actual earnings that have come out, and they look at the remaining estimates for companies that still need to report in a quarter. And they show you year over year are revenues increasing or decreasing on a year-over-year -year basis. And also they show you the, the EPS or the earnings. Uh, are they increasing or decreasing or staying the same? And then they break it down by the different sectors. So you can look at financials and consumer discretionary and technology and all those sorts of things and energy. As I said, energy recently has certainly been carrying the water for the rest of the S&P. Uh, other years, it will be other players. So Hopefully you found that helpful. And uh, by the way, Halloween's coming up. And I will just remind the audience, 
no better time to go out and grab my book, Broken Pie Chart. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. What a great Halloween gift. Imagine a nice hardback book filled with information dropped in some kid's uh, uh, candy bag. Well, don't drop it in, place it in. But I'll put a link to that as well. And uh, all right, that's it for this week. We'll be back with episode 190 next week. 